Superchargers, headlights, and more. With over 122 million parts, eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Stay on your A-game with all the parts you need at the prices you want. It's easy to bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. New Year's resolutions are hard, but saving money is easy with SaveWithConrad.com. You don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket, but if you got credit card debt, you can get rid of it just like that and skip your next two house payments. That's right, no payments until April at SaveWithConrad.com. The team at Save with Conrad are routinely helping families just like yours save five, six, seven, even eight hundred dollars a month. Find out how much money you can save for free. At SaveWithConrad.com, NMLS number 32416, equal housing lender, SaveWithConrad.com. How's it going, everyone? It's time for another edition of Strictly Business with Eric Bischoff, presented to you by the Ad-Free Shows and the Podcast Heat Networks. I'm John Alba, and we have a very special edition of the podcast. Our special guest is going to be Brandon Thurston from WrestleNomics as we talk about the crazy week that was in the world of pro wrestling. But, of course, man leading the charge, the bald beauty, Mr. Eric Bischoff. Oh, you're hiding something there, pal? What's the deal? There it is. Uh, Good afternoon, everyone. What a rush. <laughs> I, had know, a, actually, I had a Road Warrior Hawk kind of thing shaved into my head when they did this, but it looked so ridiculous mm-hmm. that I had to have them you know, clean it up before I left the room, <laughs> the Royal Rumble watch. So, you know, I don't mind it. I, I like it. I was walking around with my grandson, Wayj down in Tampa, out in the sun, in the park, and I feel the sun warmth of the sun bouncing off my, my noggin i kind of dug it dude could we have gone better weather for tampa or what it was like perfect down there it uh, was it was amazing you guys looked like you had some fun there at the top guy rumble and yes you did get your head shaved but it seems like it was a good time uh, anything you'd like to share about that just what a great group of people that turned out from ad free shows it was just so much fun and I've said this before, I hate to keep beating this drum, but 
for me to be able to sit back and observe and just watch these people who several years ago, most of them didn't even know each other, coming from all parts of the country to have a great time. Some of them bringing family members to, to participate and just have fun bonding over professional wrestling. And, and to see the amount of joy that, that it brings a lot of people to, to even be associated with it makes me feel good. It's, it's fun. Yeah, Josh Fields was one of the guys who got to shave your head a little bit, and I told him to tell Eric Bischoff that I wish it was me, and he said that you said something along the lines of, I bet he does. And you're right. <laughs> <laughs> I certainly did. Uh, it seemed like it was a great time. Go check that out, adfreeshows.com. They just announced a new series with The Sandman that's going to be coming to ad-free shows. Oh, so wow, that'll be wild. Yeah, some ECW stories coming to adfreeshows.com. Yeah, wild is the polite way of saying it. No, he's, a, he's a great storyteller, too. And there's something he is about a very good storyteller. voice, man. He, he, he's got a voice. It sounds like he gets up in the morning, takes a shot of whiskey or two, and then gargles with a fistful of broken glass. <laughs> he's got this voice. It's, it, it'll be fun. He'll be, he'll, he's a great storyteller. Yes, he's a, I saw a one-man show with him uh, a few years back, and he was great. Uh, so check that out, adfreeshows.com. Um, Eric, I know you and Conrad did a long episode about the Vince allegations and everything that stemmed immediately after we dropped last week's edition of Strictly Business, of course. But uh, we're not going to dive too much into that stuff this week. Instead, we're going to turn our attention to focusing on the tangible impact on the business of WWE and the wrestling industry as a whole, as far as how a lawsuit like this is concerned. But is there anything else you'd like to bow tie from your conversation with Conrad uh, as far as the Vince stuff is concerned? No, I, I look, I reacted very viscerally, emotionally reacted to what I'm, what I've read and had been reading. And the one thing I don't want to get lost in all of this is we've heard one side of the story. There will be more to come, unfortunately, because I don't want to read anymore. I don't even want to talk about it anymore. To be very honest with you, I, I if, if this would all go away tomorrow and everybody walk away, go to their separate corners and be happy for the rest of their life, however happy they're able to be under these circumstances, that would be great, but that's not real. What's real is this is going to continue to drip out. Yeah, we're going to get more information. And depending how the, how far this thing goes, I mean, this could end up in front of a jury. I don't think it will, but it could. And the the details of the, the allegations, and that's what they are, they're allegations. I, you know, the word I used was evil. And if these allegations are true, evil is a good word. If these allegations are not true, evil's a good word. And I just want it to be done. I know I sound like a six-year-old kid, but I just want it to be over. And I'm, I'm sure a lot of people feel that same way. Yeah, I mean, listen. The only people that don't feel that way are the attorneys that are making money in the process. It's not a fun thing to talk about. It's not a fun thing to cover, but it, it is a culturally relevant thing to the industry right now. And, um, you know, it's I, I had my own experience covering it this past weekend at the Royal Rumble. And we're going to talk a little bit about that 
with our guest Brandon Thurston from WrestleNomics. Uh, but it's not something that anyone takes pleasure in talking about ad nauseum or at length because uh, it's a really, A, precarious situation, but B, uh, regardless of what the outcome of it is, it tangibly affects a lot of lives, a lot of lives. And well, and I, and I think that's one thing, you know, I do want to, you know, the, my reaction, you know, on, on 83 weeks uh, that aired Monday or dropped Monday. Um, there's nothing I said that isn't true, whether the, the allegations are true or whether the allegations are not true. Innocent people are being affected by this. There's a dark shadow over WWE, and I can only imagine, but I think I can imagine it fairly accurately, what it must be like working in WWE with this kind of thing hanging over you and and children involved, children of children involved, friends, family members, everybody's suffering as a result of these allegations. And we'll hopefully find out or there'll be a resolution one way or the other, but this is so ugly and I just wish I could just make it go away. I, I could, I could disconnect. And, and I actually thought about it for, I don't know, didn't time it, but maybe moments. There was a point in time where I was thinking through all this, knowing that I'm going to have to talk about it, where I thought maybe it's time to just stop talking about wrestling. And I know it'd make a lot of people happy if I would. <laughs> Most of them in Jacksonville, Florida. <laughs> but you know, that was just an emotional reaction and, and I got over it pretty quickly, but I just, hopefully, I can't wait to talk about like Brutus Beefcake and, and Fire and Honky Tonk Man, you know, give me something light and fun. Mm. I don't know how many times people have said, I can't wait to talk about Brutus Beefcake, but hey, it has been uttered uh, here. If you would have talked to me Monday morning, knowing I had to do that podcast with yeah. Conrad, I would have probably said the same, I would have said yeah. it. Yeah. Well, I I'd get have it, gone and done a personal interview in his garage with him. Come, Bruce, <laughs> let's sit down. Let's hash it out right here, you and me. I get it. I get it, man. I get it. Well, we're going to talk about this at length here with Brandon Thurston. So, Eric, let's not waste any more time. Let's bring in our special guest. All right, Eric. I know that our guest on this week's edition of Strictly Business is someone you have a lot of respect for. He is Brandon Thurston of WrestleNomics, and he's going to join us to talk about uh, just how all of this craziness is going to be tangibly impacting WWE's business operations and potential uh, fallout that we could see in the near or distant future. Uh, Brandon, how are you, man? It was good to see you in Tampa this past week. Yeah, it's, it's good to see you again, and it's good to see uh, John and Eric. Thanks for having me again. I'm glad you're here too, brother, because I didn't want to be the only bald guy here, so that's cool as shit. This worked out perfect. I've only been bald for like a, I don't know, maybe like two years, or I realized, you know, I had to let go. I had to get get ahead of the the, the game here and uh, get rid of it. Well, knock on wood, I didn't have to let it go. It was self inflicted stupidity on my part for making not just one but two bets involving CM Punk, where indeed, oh, really, the stakes were my hair, and that's it, man. I'm making mm -hmm. no more bets. I'm not ever <laughs> betting anybody anything. I bet with my heart, not with my mind. Clearly, that's not working out for me. Excellent. Brandon, this has been a whirlwind the past week, needless to say, and it's been a situation that's been brewing for some time now. How have you gone about your coverage of the allegations against Vince and, and WWE and, and how they're plotting their path forward here? 
for one thing, I reading the the whole complaint, which was filed by Janelle Grant, uh, just a, a few days ago, I guess about a week ago now, um, reading that whole thing, which is 67 pages long, is is an overwhelming experience. Um, I, I felt it was important when we covered it, when John Pollock and I from Post Wrestling covered it, to you know, if to give people a warning, but to to read through a lot of what's written in there. It is overwhelming and shocking and disturbing, and I think uh, audiences, you know, wrestling fans who are interested in, in learning about what's going on in the business need to to hear exactly what she alleges. It's it's one side of the story, and Vince will have. Uh, he has about three weeks to give his side of the story if there's not extensions, um, but it's it, it speaks to what may be a, a larger and wider problem within WWE and probably beyond that. It's interesting you said, Brandon, and I'm going to do this once and I'm going to hope that people are listening and understand what I'm saying. By no means am I coming to anybody's defense or supporting anything or anybody in this situation, other than the innocent people involved, because there are a lot of them. But you said it clearly, man, Vince has three weeks to tell his side of the story. We, all of us, reacted and are still reacting, really, to her allegations and her in that complaint. We haven't seen the other side of that coin yet. And you say it'll take about three weeks to get there. That's when things, in my opinion, are going to really get interesting and interesting in a, in a, in a sad way. It, we're, we're probably going to end up deeper. We'll probably learn more. It, this isn't going to go away anytime soon. I guess that's my point. And we still haven't heard from the other side of the other side of the table. And that's, Interesting is the only word I can come up with right now. Yeah, it, it, it looks like what they're going to try to do is, based on looking at the NDA, which is an exhibit to this lawsuit, is that there's an arbitration clause which the judge could decide to push this into arbitration, which is sort of what the, the contract, the NDA, says, is that if there's some dispute, it should go to arbitration. Arbitration means that this would be done in private, that the public wouldn't be able to see what's going on here. Um, she's alleging for a lot of reasons that that the NDA should not be enforceable, should be invalidated, and, and they should go forward with this lawsuit. So Can that's I ask you, Brandon? And this is your opinion. I, I None of us really know any facts. We're just learning what we're reading and hearing. But she also, I believe, alleges that the NDA was broken, therefore it does not apply. Exactly. And I'm guessing, without having done any research, the reason she's taking that position is because her name was leaked at some point not long ago. That might be part somebody, of the somebody, somebody leaked her name to the public. Yeah, it, so what you're referring to is she alleges in the lawsuit that uh, WWE leaked her name through uh, an internet writer, which was connected to be Brad Shepard. Um, but also, too, to that point, Eric, I believe part of it, and Brandon, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe it was also she claimed that the payments had stopped happening, correct? Yes. So so Vince made one $1 million payment, and, and the, the NDA dictated that he was to make additional $500,000 payments at each February 1st. Uh, he did not make the first $500,000 payment that he was supposed to make 
um, in, in on February 1st, 2023. I guess t- today as we're recording here is actually the, the, the ne- next installment date. But um, because he's he's discontinued paying, according to her, that invalidates it. There's also something called the Speak Out Act, which is supposed to protect uh, victims of sexual assault and sexual harassment from having to have NDAs enforced upon them. So that's part of what she's arguing as well. What a mess. Yeah. Uh, now, Brandon, you had mentioned you did a great timeline on WrestleNomics of this where it, it's wild, first off, because, Eric, you and I have been talking about this for almost two years now when Vince stepped away for the first time. But you reminded everyone, Brandon, that on July 8th, 2022, the Wall Street Journal reported that Vince had paid $12 million for NDAs across 16 years to four different women. Who had worked for WWE. Now, again, that's just a Wall Street Journal report from a year and a half ago now. But I guess this kind of puts into context that the scope of this is so much larger, regardless of what is ultimately true versus what is not. There are so many more moving pieces at hand here. Are there not, Brandon? So we know that there are at least seven women with allegations against Vince McMahon. If you go all the way back to Rita Chatterton, that's one. And then there's the spa manager. Uh, there is the, the the person at the tanning salon in Boca Raton. There is the wrestler, uh, the, man, the the employee manager, contractor, and there's Janelle Grant. So that's seven women with allegations. Now, I, I, I don't know if they all have NDAs, but most of them at least do. Um, so when you got that many allegations, you know, I, I think in, at least in the public's view, it's sort of you're you're you've lost the benefit of the doubt there, and it makes it uh, more easy to believe the, these stories here. I, I, I think I that uh, John, I'm sorry. I think that's one of the things that you know, I timing and and travel and all that complicated Conrad and, and my ability to record 83 weeks. So we didn't really do it until Monday afternoon. I was almost grateful for that because it in Truth be known, we attempted to do it Sunday, but neither Conrad and I could really, we we're still processing, still trying to figure out how to even talk about this. Right. And reacting really just emotionally to what we read. And I think in a complaint, if you're a good attorney, you want to file, especially if in a situation like this, and especially given the high profile nature of it, right? Those shocking, hard to read hard to discuss hard to even really think about for very long um complaints i should say or allegations in the complaint creates an emotional reaction i mean it 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 should and it clearly did but that's where the rest of the story is going to become interesting and John, you, you said it right, whether these allegations are true or not true, or the truth, as unfortunately it often does, lies somewhere in the middle, that's going to be resolved at some point. But now you've got six other people who are in the process or potentially will get into the process based on what we see develop here. And that that cloud hanging over, over anybody's head is, I don't know how you deal with that strategically. I mean, it's just, it's just too much. There's so much other information that's been made public. It makes it hard not to be biased in in believing that the allegations in the complaint are likely true. And that's not fair either. It could likely not be true. 
just mm-hmm. as well. But now you take all of the circumstantial evidence, and I'm not a lawyer, and I'm not trying to sound like one, but all of the other Michigas surrounding events and, and, and these NDAs and all that, what a horrible, horrible piece of business if you're Ari Emanuel and Nick Khan. What a horrible piece of business they have to do to deal with. Yeah, and, and thinking about whether other women will come forward with their stories, they, they do have NDAs. Um, but one thing that the the complaint is raising is it's arguing against some language that's in the NDA, saying it's overly broad. And it makes the point specifically, it, it says that if other women and, and their NDAs are, you know, they have this, the same language, which they may, uh, then it they're arguing that those NDAs may be unenforceable as well. Sort of, it, it it points to encouraging other women if they choose to 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 speak out. Right, and I guess the reason I was asking about that is because there is this contingency of wrestling fans out there as this has evolved over the course of the past week. Who I, I think many of them look at it, Brandon, and are like, "Well, this happened in the past; it's over and done with." And now Vince is out of power, so none of it is going to ultimately matter with how it affects WWE, but. At the same time, culture starts at the top and it trickles down. And there are people who were involved who are still with the company or not with the company, according to this uh, lawsuit in particular. This is not something that is going to go away, regardless of the outcome of the lawsuit anytime soon, as far as I see it. What's your read on that? I I think another thing that's that's raised in this lawsuit is that there are four executives who are not named specifically by, by name they're described as wwe corporate officer one two three and four and she alleges that they had knowledge of of the abuse that was happening and, and didn't do anything to intervene so the the argument that she's making is that there there's a systemic problem here there's a problem with the culture that protected vince and allowed him to continue to do what he did um based on all the ndas we have perhaps he was doing this for many years with many women um but I think that's something that we asked Paul Vec about uh, a few days ago at the post Royal Rumble press conference, and I think it's a question that you know all, all of the major executives uh, surrounding WWE and in TKO for that matter need to be asked about. You know, what did they know, and and when did they know it, and did did Ari Emanuel know know more than uh, more than than we knew uh, when when that deal was made, and there will probably be be shareholders very interested in that question too. It's How do you feel that this situation today, not what's going to happen six months from now or six years from now, because we can't look into the crystal ball and figure that out. We don't know what that'll look like. But in terms of today, how do you think this is going to affect advertisers, sponsors, other corporate partners? Do you think they're going to take a wait and see attitude? Or do you think you'll see more aggressive positions, much like Slim Jim took, um, Saturday, uh, and and withhold future business until something is done. In this case, Vince McMahon resigned, and and Slim Jim jumped back in. But do you think there are other advertisers right now wondering whether they want to continue their relationship with WWE? I don't have any reason to think that there's less demand for advertising and ad, ad space with WWE, given that. Vince resigned and, and Slim Jim jumped right back in. Um, now there could always be more news that that surfaces. Um, generally, with the, these things, you, you figure the worst news is going to come out at first. Um, but but if it is revealed that there were, you know, if there's evidence, if there's emails or communications and other evidence that other executives had knowledge of this and didn't do something about it, 
mean, that could reflect poorly on the company, obviously, and that that could lead to to less interest uh, with advertisers. It seems like Netflix is okay with it. There was a, a comment from a Netflix executive uh, earlier today, sort of just saying that he's gone and and basically expressing that they're satisfied with the fact that he, that Vince has resigned. Um, and that deal, I mean, that's probably a contract that they can't get out of at this point. That's that's good for at least five years. Um, so I don't see huge things happening unless there's huge news that comes out. Yeah, the exact quote was uh, verbatim from the executive, uh, Bella Beharia. She said, he's gone, so he's not there. He's gone. So clearly uh, some strong jurisdiction. Well, nobody uh, spent too much time structuring that response. <laughs> yeah, I, I'd say, well, you know, <laughs> Eric, that, that's actually really interesting that you just said that, though. Um, you obviously have had a lot of experience in that corporate realm where you have strategic response to stuff. And, you know, Brandon and I can only speak from our experience in the press conference this past week where Paul Levesque didn't come out with any formal prepared remarks regarding the situation. It was much more off the cuff and, and from the hip. Were you surprised in any way by the initial response this past weekend when prompted about this stuff, Eric? I found it interesting, but I wasn't surprised because, and I really didn't want to get into this and create a debate over what should or shouldn't have happened. But in, in this context, um, I was a little surprised, but actually relieved because anybody that's ever been, anybody that's ever worked in a corporate environment where there is a, where there is pending litigation and there's a lot of pending litigation going on right now. It wasn't that long ago that the feds raided Mr. McMahon's home. So you've got the feds over here. They're looking right. for something that may or may not even be associated with this civil complaint. We, we jump to the conclusion, myself, I'll speak for myself. I tend to jump to the conclusion and make an assumption that those two are related. They may not be. And with the amount of litigation and interest from the feds and the SEC and all the other stuff, and then you got all the shareholders out there that are sitting on the edge of their seat waiting to pull some kind of a trigger. Um, you have to be so careful about what you say that it, if you're going to make an official comment, it literally has to be structured by a team of, an att of attorneys. And the senior attorney representing the, the corporate attorney representing and, and, and leading that effort will have to sign off on that, that statement. If you can imagine whether, John, it was you or, or anybody asking a question that you know, now I'm just saying you did this, but any reporter, that were, would ask a question that they know Triple H can't answer. He can't give you his opinion. He can't give you his feelings. He can't go into any detail. He has two choices. Either read a prepared statement, and I get it. Some people think that would have been a better way to go because at least it's addressing. But it's really not. You're going to get a bland you're going to get a, a you're going to get a legal statement from a corporate attorney coming out of Triple H's mouth and the audience is going to gag on that. That's not what they want to hear. They don't want to hear Paul Levesque talking like an attorney. They they want to hear his personal feelings about the matter. That's why the question was asked. So my point is anybody that knows anything about this situation knew 
including you, John, not to beat you up, but it is what it is. You, you're asked a very good question. You were articulate, you're respectful. Everything was great about it, except for you knew he couldn't answer that question unless he read a prepared statement. And I think that was probably, I'm guessing, considered. Do we want Paul Levesque under the current circumstances, which are really interesting to talk about because I think this is kind of unprecedented mm-hmm. in almost every respect. Do we want him coming out and pretending he's an attorney or speaking as one? Or do we want him to just acknowledge that he's not going to answer it and move on to the next subject and talk about focusing on something positive? So I, I think he, under the circumstances, and I know this is going to be an unpopular position. Don't care. Um, I think I think Paul Levesque handled it the only way he should have handled it. Brandon, you have any thoughts on that you'd like to add? I would contrast that against what I've only read the text and I think John, you were on the call of Shawn Michaels just had a call for the NXT show that's coming up this weekend. And just based on reading the text, he, he came off more thoughtful and more compassionate and more protective of, of talent and staff than, than, than Paul did. Um, I asked a couple questions after John asked his question, whether, whether Paul had read the complaint and if he, and if he did what his reaction was to it. And he said he had not, um, I, I feel like that was a pretty easy entry to him to say something compassionate or something around the notion that they really care about their talent and whether or not any, any of this is true, uh, that this is not what WWE is about. Um, but he sort of left 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 the viewer or the reader of his comments to feel like, you know, this is not even that big of a concern to him in that he's not aware of what's in the complaint, even though I'm pretty sure he's aware of, of, of at least the surface level details of what's in the complaint. Um, but I would think that that's, you know, having a, a thorough understanding of, of what's alleged to be happening in your company, the highest level would be uh, a, among the, the the most necessary things that you should do as the number two executive in the company. Yeah. And don't, don't argue that. Don't argue that. I, you know, my, the other side of it though, is had, had Paul responded similar, and I haven't read the Sean Michaels text, so I don't know said there but if paul would have talked about how much they care for the talent and safety and protection of the talent and everybody else in the corporate environment and he wouldn't have been sympathetic to the alleged victim he'd be getting heat for that social media would have been accusing him of trying to protect vince simply by not coming out and speaking about the his reaction to those allegations and I don't know that he did read it. I mean, obviously, nobody knows but him. But I can see a circumstance where he had not at that point. Keep in mind, Royal Rumble weekend, major, significant changes to the card. It, I can see where it would be something that he would sit down and, and be briefed on. Briefed had, on even right. if he didn't read it, yeah. be right. briefed on the details. Yeah. And perhaps I, that I, happened before. But I, I don't it, doubt that I, he didn't read it. I can't imagine he he wasn't aware of the basics of it, though. Right, right. And, and you know, it's it's interesting, you know, as far as the Shawn Michaels stuff is concerned, it's not an apples to apples comparison because Shawn's not on the corporate side of WWE, exactly. you know, um, and Shawn is based in Orlando, whereas all this stuff is alleged to have taken place in Connecticut. So there, there are some layers to that. And I think Shawn has a little more liberty uh, to speak more freely about the subject. And I did think he handled it very well. I mean, Sean was point blank asked about uh, 
allegations of misconduct and rape against him from the late 80s, early 90s on this press conference. And I thought he handled it really, really well. Um, but going back to the subject at hand here, it, it's a really unenviable position to be in, regardless if you're Paul Levesque. And I think he understood that the questions were going to be asked and, and they need to be asked. And, you know, Eric, to your point on what you were saying, I didn't know what kind of response we were going to get from him. I, I genuinely did not know. And it was there was a reason that I worded my particular question the way I did, because it's something you and I covered extensively on this podcast, which was when Vince wrote to the board asking to be reinstated and saying, here's why I need to be reinstated. They responded unanimously that, no, we are not interested in reinstating you. And the question was, well, what was the reason for that at the time? Did it have any correlation to this? And whether he can go on the record and explain that or or not, I very much expected some degree as the visual representation of WWE of at this time, this is due to the pending litigation. This is not something that I can go into. However, uh, WWE takes all allegations of misconduct seriously or, or something akin to that. And, you know, look, Ultimately, it doesn't affect. And what, us. and what does that get you, though? What does that get you? It gets you the, it gets you a feather in your cap because you get to ask the question. I'm not talking about you, Joe, but any report in any situation, you see this all the time in press briefings. It's just freaking ridiculous. Well, it, it's you're you're asking a question that you should know. He can't answer. You asked a very specific question. Did you? What did you know? And when did you know it? And why was this decision made? With with regard to a board matter, he's not going to. He's, he's not at liberty to discuss that. It's a question that can't be answered by anybody other than an attorney representing WWE. But I think that, and, and Brandon, I'm curious your thoughts on this too. I, I think perhaps that when you're in that position and you're answering to questions like this, the response that people are looking for, specifically employees in this instance, they were looking for that assurance of, okay, well, at least there is some concerted effort here to look out for the well-being of employees with this response. Uh, and, and that's traditionally, that's historically from experiences I've had in media, in press conferences on similar or related matters to instances like this, where that's generally what the consensus is looking for. I don't know. I mean, Brandon, were you, were you surprised in any way that there was no sort of sentiment of that in this particular instance? I, I think when when we have an opportunity to ask, in this case, WWE's number two executives, some questions that are very important at this time, considering the lawsuit that just came out, I think it's our responsibility to ask questions and maybe they won't be able to ask that and we can usually predict that they they won't be able to answer that um but i think even if they can't answer it and even if we do know that ahead of time that that's most likely the case what we often get is some something that that indicates something about how they feel about the story or how they're handling it um even in a non-answer can can be informative and i would say second to that that it's important that we ask questions that 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 demand to be asked for the sake of in this case what may be a a, a very toxic uh, work environment because it sends a message to to the industry to the workers to, to the public that that these are that we recognize that these are important issues and, and they they need to be addressed um and i, I how think much do you how, guys how much do you think and look i'm biased because i have a certain amount of sympathy for corporate executives who are stuck <laughs> in a hot seat sure um, and they're done that 
But do you think the venue, the audience in that press, I mean, look, I would guess that if Ari Emanuel or Nick Khan or Paul Levesque or a combination of the three of them had a press conference or had an interview on CNBC or the Wall Street Journal or some other venue that was business related as opposed to fan related. And I'm not, not disparaging or, or by any way minimizing either press group, right? I'm not doing that. But that press conference was all about Royal Rumble, the reaction to it, events leading up to it, all of that. Do you think that that was the appropriate venue to do? Not that I wouldn't have done it if I were in your shoes. I would have done it too. Let me first of all say that. Okay, I'm not not throwing stones here, but do you think had the, that press conference taken place in a different venue that wasn't really all about wrestling fans, that the answers might have been different? Brandon, I'll allow you first on that one. I, it, given the the amount of time he had to prepare, I mean, given the the the, the gravity of this issue, it's it's a, it's a wonder to me that he wasn't more prepared to to give some sort of you know some sort of ready answer that would have allowed him to come off better than he did. Um, and I I don't know that it would have mattered whether he was facing you know wrestling reporters or content creators or whoever they are, or if he was sitting down with David Faber at CNBC. Um, I mean, I I think Nick Khan might have been been coached better and might have been more prepared to give a business answer. And Nick Khan is a lawyer. And I, yeah, I was going to ask you that too, Brandon. Do you think perhaps you know, looking back, hindsight's twenty twenty, you can fix anything if you can look back at it, right? You think it might have been better to possibly have an attorney to handle some of those issue related questions as opposed to putting it on Paul Levesque, who's head of creative. I, I think one thing I've been thinking about today is where, where's Nick Khan? Um, he is the president. He's the number one officer in the company. Um, it's it's only been a week now, but um, it would be nice to hear from him or if you know, we had a chance to ask him questions or if he did an interview somewhere, which he's he's done several over the years uh, on, on various podcasts. So I think, yeah, I mean, n- number one, I, I would like to hear from Nick Khan and, and have him get asked questions about this. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Agreed. It'll be, it, I look forward to hearing what, what Nick has to say as well. Yeah. And as far as the arena, Eric, and, and where these questions are asked, the opportunities to have these open discussions and questions and answers with high-ranking individuals in these companies is extremely limited. 
for for any media member, but specifically this realm of media. So when you have that opportunity face to face to address these things, I feel like you, you almost have to. And for the record, like Brandon and I were talking about this too a couple days ago, but you also, as a reporter, have to ask yourself who, who is appropriate to ask these questions to, like hypothetically speaking, if they had thrown Jade Cargill up there on the dais, is it appropriate to ask her about it? I don't know. Cody, however, is the top face of the company and has had a working relationship with Vince McMahon. And he was asked about it. And for the record, I thought Cody did an excellent job at talking about a very difficult subject. Uh, how do you feel Cody represent himself, Eric? I think he did a great job, but he was able to, he was able to speak from the perspective of talent, not as an officer of the company, right? There's a, there's a whole different set of rules when you're an officer in a publicly traded company. Yeah. Brandon, did you have any thoughts on Cody being addressed? Because I know that's something that as reporters, we've been tasked with this. Oh, it was, it was not the time or place or anything of that nature. how do you feel about that? I think Cody, if, it, if it's appropriate to ask anybody, it's, it's appropriate to ask people who are very high up in the car who you, who you imagine would be more secure in their position in, in their their position of power so if it's cody or roman reigns or someone like that i think it's it's just over the line okay i'm less comfortable the further down the card we go to to people who who it's a it's a, it's a, them thinking about how to handle the question it could be more detrimental to them depending on on how they deal with it Oh, it could be detrimental as hell. I mean, like a situation like this, not probably not so much for someone like Cody because he's generally pretty well loved. But man, and this is probably one of the reasons. I'll speak for myself. I don't know what Conrad was dealing with, but I, I just was very insecure about how to even approach this because no matter what you say, unless you walk a a, a bright yellow line. It's so neutral. It, it's not. It doesn't even matter. It makes sense to do an interview or to, to try to talk about the subject. You're going to offend so many different people on either side of, of the coin. You know, it's, it's really hard to talk about it, um, and it's a lot of pressure to put on talent. No doubt. Let me ask you guys, you, both of you, are you guys surprised that there weren't more mainstream media in attention or in attendance? I mean. Given the nature of this, every, it's not a secret there was a, a pay-per-view going on. It's not a secret there was going to be a press conference, you know, for a story of this magnitude with this much interest in such a high-profile case. Was there anybody there representing anybody other than wrestling media? There was what John may have a better handle. ESPN had a had a, a reporter there. there. Mm -hmm. There's ESPN there. some of these major outlets, they sort of have a wrestling beat, and I think some of those those people were there. Yeah, I, I think part of it, Eric, is that for big events like this, credential applications go out so far in advance and they close the window, you know, probably about a month before the event, maybe three weeks before the event. Now, that's not to say if the Wall Street Journal or the Hollywood Reporter had inquired about getting credentialed at the last second that they wouldn't be able to. But I, I think it's possible that that partially at least played into it and the resources weren't there to send representatives for that but mm, that's, that's a hard one to believe that's a hard one to believe. no well like i said I, if they wanted it they could have probably gotten it um which, I, I think, which i'll ask the question again if if they if they wanted it and they probably couldn't have could have gotten it why wasn't there anybody there well it's funny because they were so quick to aggregate from 
the events that actually happened. I mean, our our questions, Brandon, I know they got picked up by multiple major outlets. Yeah. CNN, um, New York Times. Yeah. So and and that underscores the importance of asking these questions in these events when you have the limited opportunities to do so, in my opinion. Um, I, I don't know how you feel yeah. about that, but that that only shows that further, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I don't know if this is what you're getting at, Eric, but I think the reason why more mainstream outlets weren't weren't there, you know, based on okay, this lawsuit came out, let's let's go go be there, was it's because those outlets don't take wrestling with with the highest priority. I think you know, I think in general the the media doesn't know which bucket for one thing to put wrestling into. I think for the sports media, they don't want to cover it because it's predetermined, and I think the entertainment media doesn't want to cover it because they see it as lowbrow entertainment, and it just sort of gets lost in in nobody wanting to cover it and. You know, and I think that's that has probably not helped a lot of these issues because they haven't faced the scrutiny that that they they could have to perhaps prevent some of this. I'm going to throw in a third option, third choice. I just think they're fucking lazy. And the idea that they're just going to aggregate somebody else's work and not spend the time and not actually do journalists work while they pretend to be journalists or or are, but they're just lazy. Um, I, I don't buy that. I just I think <clears throat> media. News media today is so sloppy and so lazy. Across, and I'm not talking about wrestling. Actually, wrestling's starting to look pretty good with people like you, Brandon, and and Mike Johnson over at PW Insider, and, and Dave Shear, and and others. I'm not going to make a list here of all the people that I respect to it are in the business you guys are in. But nonetheless, I think it's a pretty, it's a strong feeling on my in my part that the news media in general are lazy and they're sloppy and they're gonna jump on whatever side of the issue that polls best, because that's gonna get them attention. News media, I, I said this in a TED talk back in 2018 or whenever it was. News today is more like professional wrestling than professional wrestling is, in that news is not designed to inform you so that you can make a rational choice or an informed choice based on your world, the news media is created to get you to feel, to react, to get emotional, to either cheer for the baby face or boo the heel. It's become so formulaic, along with being sloppy and lazy, that that's the reason there was no mainstream media there. And had tip of the cap to you guys for doing it. You know, it's unfortunate that wrestling, and I agree with you, Brandon, I've talked a long time. John has heard me talk about this. You know, wrestling is in sports, eh, but it kind of is. It's not comedy. It's not a sitcom. Mm, kind of is. It's not a drama series. Mm, kind of is. So when you explain the product to someone who's not a fan, how do you describe it? It's kind of hard. And I, yeah. that is a big issue. But at the same time, we had the announcement of a $5 billion streaming deal with one of the largest streamers on the planet that made headlines everywhere else. Why would all of a sudden they not be interested right. in this? That, that was so fascinating. It was like, you're so quick to jump on one thing, right? It's like, oh, wow, we're, we're going to be all over this, but then not. Something because it's problem. easy. You don't have yeah. to do much research. That's true. It's very true. I, I want to ask you guys this, and this is something that Matt Hardy and I talked about on our podcast this week. Wrestling historically, and WWE specifically, it has taken for major events to become catalysts for change. When Eddie passed away, all of a sudden, opiates and painkillers started to be more under the microscope. When the Benoit tragedy happened, 
all of a sudden we're starting to care more about head trauma. What do you think an event like this, regardless of whether or not these accusations are true or not, what kind of change do you think this could spur throughout the rest of the industry? Erica, I'd love to start with you on this one. I don't think that this is eye-opening in the sense of, wow, we never heard of anything like this before. Ladies and gentlemen, Congress, members of Congress, have a slush fund that's created exactly for this purpose. Politicians, unfortunately, participate in this kind of behavior and, and, and have structures in place and, and programs in place to help them mitigate it in management, including members of Congress. That's not news. I don't think there's any corporate environment in, in the country that hasn't had similar issues in one way, shape, or form. It's the royal family, for crying out loud, <laughs> has got these issues. So I don't think anybody's going to go, wow, I didn't know this existed. I do think as a result of this, and probably even more so, once the dust settles and the outcome is clear, because it's going to be nothing but commas and decimal points, and it's going to have a massive financial impact. One way or the other, it's going to have a massive financial impact. And I think anybody in any company, whether it's a wrestling company or a six-person shop, you know, making T-shirts out of the garage, are going to have to start being extra careful to not become entangled in anything that could even be remotely by the most evil attorney on the face of the earth end up in a complaint that makes anybody look, I mean, you just can't go near it. It's, it's, it's just, I think people are going to become hyper aware of their vulnerabilities in, in terms of their behavior. And I guess they should. At the end of the day, why not? Is it a bad thing? It's an unfortunate thing that we've gotten to this point in our culture, in our society, in our morality as a, as a, as a species that we have to have these, you know, uh, guardrails in place and keep an eye, a microscope under everything we do. That's, that's unfortunate, but it is what it is. And that's the environment that we live in today. So I don't think anybody's going to be shocked in terms of this is new. I've never heard of anything like this before, but probably become more aware that you just have to be extra diligent and not mm -hmm. be involved in anything that can create a perception of something that could lead to a sexual harassment case or something as, as insane as what we're reading about. Brandon, do you see any more ramifications, especially on yeah. the business side of things? So like the, the two examples you brought up when Eddie Guerrero passed away, um, there was a wellness policy that was created in reaction to his passing. Um, when Chris Benoit died, um, part of what, what the reaction was to that is we sort of got a culture of like, let's not do chair shots to the head anymore. And I don't know what the the simple policy solution is right now. Like I'm sure WWE, in, you know, in, in their HR has some sort of policy against sexual harassment. And I don't know what they could change to to make it more more strict than than it is. Not even knowing what, what the details of it are, um, because this is this is a, a problem that is not around, you know, 
simple choices of like to, to take steroids or to, or to do drugs, but like this has to do with people's relationships and the power that people have, in, you know, within the workplace. Um, I think in, in part that some of the change has, has already happened and this happened regardless. And I, I'm thinking of like 2018 uh, with, with the Me Too movement and having more people have conversations about this. And, and that has sort of tilted the, the momentum towards having people believe women who, who bring up these accu accusations. Um, and wrestling sort of had its own movement in, in that sense in 2020 with the, the speaking out movement was, where so many stories came to light that made it clear that this was a problem in wrestling too. Again, both of these things happened. And then the Janelle Grant story happened after that. And I think pro wrestling in particular has this disparity of there's more men than women in it. And basically all the people in power are men. So I don't know how you, you, you fix this overnight. And not that this, I guess it is relevant. You know, I, it, it's not that WWE didn't have, not only did they have a policy in place, but for example, when I was there in 2019, during that brief four month cup of coffee that I was there, um, I was asked, no, not asked, directed to attend um, maybe two seminars, might have just been one. I, had, I was doing a lot of onboarding at the time, so I'm gonna call it one. Uh, it was several hours and it wasn't just me. I mean, it wasn't a class for me. It was, there were directors, there were managers, there were department heads, men, women, and it was, and I've been through them before. I was through that type of thing at, at Turner Broadcasting. I organized them and hired companies to come in and take my employees at the time through that course, right? So uh, it's not just a policy that was in place. There was an active effort to help educate managers, department heads, directors, whatever, on the implications and the, and the complications of interaction in the office place that could be misconstrued or, or worse. Um, what I don't know how much more, it's kind of like you can't legislate morality right. as much as we would like to. You can't make a law to make people abide that will make everybody a good person. This is never going to happen. You're always going to find situations where people work around, ignore, whatever policies, educational programs, whatever you want to do when it comes to human nature. It's just, it's unfortunate. But again, Brandon, I keep saying this, it's just, none of us have a crystal ball. We don't know how it's going right. to, to turn out. But Brandon, I, you know, I, I live in my own bubble, you know, here in the middle of nowhere, Wyoming, which is, I'm really grateful for it, to be honest. The only contact I have with the wrestling audience is through social media. And for me, that's more fun and entertainment than it is real interaction. Um, what's been your impression of the wrestling audience with regard to WWE as the broader subject? Not Vince. I mean, I know collectively everybody's pretty well set on where they stand on Vince. But how do you think this is going to affect just the, the feeling that fans have towards WWE? Do you get a vibe for that yet? Brand perception. Yeah. I, I mean, obviously it's a negative in terms of like actual results. We saw the the Raw after Royal Rumble did a really strong rating and usually does after the Royal Rumble, but I don't I don't see like fan interest going down. Again, obviously it's a bad thing for the brand, um, but I 
don't get the sense that this is going to lead to a lot of fan disengagement. I mean, like even looking back to like the, the Benoit situation in 2007, I don't know that that led to like a really strong immediate withdrawal from, from wrestling fans. Um, but I think, you know, I, I, I think it's something that needs to be covered and, and, and scrutinized is how much of this is a systemic problem in the company. I don't know that the general wrestling fan is super concerned with that though. I think everybody sees that this is a, a Vince problem that, that, you know, gotten to their periphery, you know, through the news and through whatever, you know, whatever information they're consuming. And now Vince is gone. And that's probably a, enough for the typical wrestling fan to, to feel like it was sort of dealt with. Let's hope because while you and I both agree, and I think John, you probably do too. Wrestling is this weird duck, you know, you can't, it doesn't quack. It doesn't, well, but it's a duck and a duck is a bird, but it doesn't fly. You know, it's wrestling. It's hard to really, to, to describe it, but I'm hoping Brandon, everything you said is true. I believe it, it probably is. Um, but what I would hate to see is wrestling as a category, whether it's WWE or AEW or TNA or, or NWA, whoever, whatever set of letters you want to throw out there, you would. I would hate to see them kind of getting splattered with some of this muck as well because it's it, it's unfortunate. But I agree with you. I, I think wrestling fans are going to look at this isolate Vince, isolate it as a Vince problem and, and not have it reflect their feelings towards professional wrestling in general or WWE specifically. I hope you're right about that. What's up, everyone? It's Reality Steve, your number one source for all things Bachelor Nation and reality TV. Every day, I'm giving you the behind-the-scenes juice and your info on all your Bachelor Nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. My name has been synonymous with spoilers, but I'm so much more than that. Give me a listen. The Reality Steve Podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. Brandon, before we let you go, I, I want to ask you on one more thing here that, you know, you've got your ear to the ground and you're very well researched. And I think that's one of the best parts about WrestleNomics and everyone should be checking out WrestleNomics if you are not subscribed already. But uh, Ari Emanuel, you know, he, he made this acquisition happen almost a year ago now. And when it happened, everyone remembers the interview with him and Vince there sitting side by side. And I think a lot of people have speculated deep down that maybe he was looking at pretty much every avenue possible to distance himself from Vince. Uh, we know that Endeavor openly discussed about how Vince could be a financial liability to the company. What do you foresee Ari's path going forward with this incident being and, and how he goes about directing WWE's business ventures going forward? I, I feel like they've probably have been exposed to some sort of shareholder lawsuit which is isn't the end of the world i mean we i've i've seen something like three or four shareholder lawsuits down in the i don't know eight years or so i've been covering wrestling um i think they'll, they'll probably be that eventually um i'm really curious to see if this lawsuit continues to go forward there's three defendants here keep in mind there's vince mcmahon there's john laurinitis and there's wb the company itself is also being sued because it's being claimed that they had knowledge and did nothing It'll be really interesting to see if, if their interests all align and they are all defended sort of by the, by the same set of lawyers who are all on the same page. Or what I could see happening is sort of the WWE side turning on Vince and, and sort of blaming Vince and possibly even suing Vince and for exposing them to this liability uh, if it costs them something or if they can claim damages here. Um, but 
to, to John, what you're saying about the, the merger happening, it's, it's really interesting in the, in the filing that we got that gives this narrative about how this TKO deal came together. There was an initial offer from the Endeavor side to give WWE, I believe it was 43% of, of the stock. This was an all-stock deal. And it was renegotiated. And, and, and then a second offer was made by Endeavor to say, no, we'll give you not, uh, 49% rather than 43%, but Vince McMahon has to stay. In, in other words, it was, it was at least on paper, what, what is being being told to the SEC and the public is that Ari insisted that Vince stay and, and that, that, that he had to give up more stock for Vince to stay. And that's consistent with what we saw in the CNBC interview that they did the day after the deal was announced. Where, where oh, that's really was, interesting, Brandon. That's a tip. That's a new piece of information that, that that's interesting. Yeah. And, and Ari Emanuel is sitting there next to, to Vince in the CNBC interview the next day saying, oh, oh, oh my God, yeah, we needed him. Um, and I mean, I, I could cynically read that and, and think maybe they arranged things just so so that they that so that it would be disclosed that way when in reality perhaps Vince was insisting on staying and would not stay because that was an issue that that was in the air and was in the media that people were talking about you know people thinking including me that Vince is never going to leave this company um so who, who knows uh, but that's what's been disclosed to the SEC that it was Endeavor's move to say we will give you more stock but Vince has to stay rather than what we would all think that Vince would insist on staying and you know maybe you would have to give up something to do so um so Probably, you know, may, maybe there is some shareholder liability there in terms of shareholders getting together and saying, you insisted that this guy stay. Here we have the SEC filing saying so, and he exposed us some more liability because of that. Um, but, but Brandon, what's going on with TKO stock today? Uh, last I looked, over, over the last several days, it's not, not moving in any really remarkable way. Um, as we speak today, it is up 2% on the day. Um, I don't know what the indexes are doing, but that's, you know, it, it's up by 2%. So that would kind of mitigate shareholder damages. I mean, you're going to sue somebody for making money for you? Yeah, I suppose it would have to, maybe it would have to coincide with some sort of decrease in, in, the, um, in, in, the, in the value of the company. Time will tell, guys. Time yeah. will tell. Yeah, I'm I'm really curious, especially in the court of public opinion, how... Ari handles this and I mean Nick Khan is going to be the driver for WWE going forward here especially with Vince permanently gone at least it seems that way on the surface so well, Feb uh, we'll February 27th is the next TKO earnings call and based on the, the first one that they did already it's just going to be Ari Emanuel and Mark Shapiro who's the COO and for, for both TKO and Endeavor so it's not like we'll hear, hear from Nick Khan then but we will hear from uh, Ari Emanuel and Mark Shapiro and I, I expect that the stock analysts who are on the call will be interested enough to, to ask questions that relate to this issue because of the things we've just been talking about, like the, the value of the stock, the value of partnerships, does this affect advertisers and, and all of that. Maybe. Brandon, before we let you go, I just want to thank you for joining us, dude. I, I learn a little bit of something every time I look at one of your posts or Appreciate follow it. you in any way and love having you on the show. You bring, you bring much needed credibility. <laughs> so we're happy to, happy to get that rub, but thank you, man. You, you, you're a fascinating guy. I love the way you treat the business and nothing but respect. Well, it's a pleasure to be here. It's a pleasure to talk with both of you. Um, and, I, and I learn a lot from John, who's a, a real journalist as well. <laughs> That's good to know. Wait a minute. You come, you, come on, you, you come on my show and you, you, you put John over? <laughs> Dude. 
and it's and how it's long have you been covering wrestling? Come on! <laughs> and, it, and, it, and it's a pleasure to be here with 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 the uh, the architect of the Monday Night Wars. There you go. All right, all right, all right. I'll take whatever I can get at this stage of life, brother. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you, Brandon. Want to thank Brandon for his time. Check out WrestleNomics if you haven't already. It truly is one of the best wrestling Patreon services out there. He does a fantastic job. Uh, Eric. <laughs> When they say breaking news, it means stuff is always evolving, right? And the situations are, are always changing fluidly. And as we wrapped our interview with Brandon, we got some breaking news regarding the Vince McMahon lawsuit. And that comes via Vice. Uh, Vice reporting that John Laronitis, co-defendant in Vince McMahon's sex trafficking lawsuit, of course, says that he was a victim too with his attorney, Edward Brennan, saying the truth will come out. Quote, earlier today, Vice News reached out to Brennan, an attorney in the Tampa area, to confirm that he represents Laronitis. He did so, adding as an aside, quote, Mr. Laronitis denies the allegations in the misguided complaint and will be vigorously defending these charges in court, not the media. Like the plaintiff, Mr. Laronitis, is a victim in the case, not a predator. The truth will come out, end quote. In response to a follow-up question seeking to clarify that he was indeed saying that McMahon was the predator and that Laronitis, like Grant, was a victim, Brennan wrote, quote, Read the allegations. Read the federal statute. Power, control, employment, supervisory capacity, dictatorial sexual demands with repercussions if not meant. Count how many times in the complaint Vince exerts control over both of them, end quote. Pretty explosive allegations there. Uh, you know, and we just got done talking to Brandon. And I think Brandon Thurston brought up an observation or question as far as who's representing. There's three plaintiffs at this point, WWE, corporately, Vince McMahon, and John Laurinaitis. And I think Brandon was wondering if they're all represented by the same attorney and therefore right. all on the same page. Right. Presenting a somewhat united front. This clearly suggests that that is not the case. And what does that mean? I'm not an attorney. I've never played one on TV. But it's kind of common sense with a little bit of understanding how shit works. Divide and conquer. If you're going after somebody, divide and conquer. If the feds are looking after you or going after you, divide and conquer. You want people turning on each other. Wow, this is, you know, I was just having a conversation with someone this morning wondering this very thing. Is John Laurinaitis represented by the same attorney? Because that creates one type of scenario as this thing progresses. This scenario portraying or alleging that John Laurinaitis was also a victim changes the the dynamics of the process going forward dramatically. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, professionally, even Eric, John Laronitis was essentially Vince's right-hand man here. He's the head of talent relations. We know how closely. Mm, that's, that's, together. that's taken it a little far. That's taken it a little far. I don't think, you know, I don't know that. I don't know. I'd go so far as to say John Laronitis was Vince's right-hand man. Clearly. Well, a trusted executive, circle. right, in the inner circle. Um, wow. I don't know what, what else to say, man, but I felt, I mean, literally, I was walking out of my studio 
getting a fresh cup of coffee on my way into the house to care of some other business. And I get that text from me and I go, well, we can't not. Yeah. I mean, we want to be first. We want to be good. We want to be clear, but man, we, we need to be first. And there was no way I was going to walk away from the opportunity to share this bit of information with our audience uh, because this is big. I mean, this is, again, I'm not an attorney and I don't want to sound like I wish I was one because I don't, but this, this changes so many things as far as how this moves forward. Well, and just really even does. on the surface, right, of, of hoping, if you're in the Vince camp, hoping that this lawsuit goes away or you settle or whatever it is, um, this makes that a whole lot more difficult now, right away, <laughs> off the onslaught of that. And if, so. like we said, you know, when I just, when we were talking about with Brandon Thurston just a few moments ago, you know, if if the, you know, as the we all know, the FBI, the feds raided Vince's home, took a bunch of shit, whatever that was, don't know. But if the feds are looking at, and if the feds and their interest in, in Vince McMahon and the reason for getting a search warrant to search his home, if that is related to this case, and now you've got, Vince and, and Johnny at this point, Johnny Laurinaitis, um, taking separate separate sides of that that battle line. Oh gosh, this is going to be ugly, ugly and interesting. And even by him claiming to be a victim too in this circumstance, it adds a degree of credence to the allegations in in the Vince lawsuit where he's saying, yeah, well, you, you clearly read what happened in that lawsuit. I, I was a victim too. So he, he's corroborating some degree of these claims. Yeah. I don't want to go that far, brother. I don't, I, I think that's, that's a step too far. I don't, this well, could all be one giant money grab. Well, I mean, certainly so. <laughs> and, and when, yeah. when things are incentivized by a money grab, corroboration and truth and facts become victims themselves. I'm not saying he's saying this is all true. I'm just simply saying that, I mean, come on. I mean, look at this right here on the surface, right? He's, he's saying, no, you saw what's in the complaint. I'm a victim too. So. It's ugly. We agree on that. Well, brother, let's just wrap this up and I'll yeah. let you get to work. Let's get this out ASAP. Our listeners, the most intelligent. Erudite. Yes. Did you look that up? Erudite? Was I that, did. I that did. was Conrad that was going to look it up. That you've used that term here before. Yeah. Erudite listeners, anywhere in the wrestling universe, listen to this show. So let's get it out to them and, and be the home. Breaking news whenever we're we can. certainly going to do that. We want you guys to get on board with us. Advertise with Eric.com. Get your product, get your business out in front of thousands of listeners every single week. The 83 Weeks feed is one of the largest wrestling feeds in the world. We would love for you to be a part of our team here. Advertise with Eric.com. He's Eric Bischoff. I'm John Alba. We'll be back with you next week right here on Strictly Business. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.